Glad that you're here. Glad that I could be here with you guys. My name is Caleb Anderson. I'm a pastor here at Mariner's Church. And uh, we, as Jairus said, we are starting a new series today called um, this, called You Are Here, Living Fully Where You Are. And it's an important thing to talk about, right? Because we live in a culture that likes to, uh, likes to think about the next thing, right? The next big thing, the next big opportunity, the next place, maybe the next person, the next job. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about what it means to really maximize living in the present. And today we're starting out by talking about work, right? Isn't that thrilling? Uh, I drew the short straw. Uh, I get to talk to you about work. Who wants to talk about work, right? What, what, what are you going to tell me, like work harder or, or work like God's always watching over my shoulder? Uh, yes, um, but really what we're, what we're expecting here, and I truly believe, is that God has something to share with me and with each one of us that will be paradigm shifting uh, in some way. We have this kind of strange love-hate relationship with work because we need it. We need Money, but I know that a lot of us find ourselves in less than ideal, maybe, vocational situations. You may be feeling like you're just some cog in the big corporate wheel of life, right? And you just show up and you go through the motions and you're like, uh, I just live for the weekend. I am a weekend warrior. That's my, that's my real identity. I got to get out of this deal. Or maybe you're an entrepreneur and you are, are just, you're grinding because every week you have to make it work. It's that next sale that's going to put food on your table. If you don't kill it, your family doesn't eat, right? Uh, or maybe you find yourself in some other kind of space. You're a stay-at-home parent and you think that this is, this is my ultimate thing. Or maybe you're working and you wish you were a stay-at-home parent, right? Wherever we find ourselves on the spectrum, uh, there's something for us here today. Because the reality is that work, in some way, shape, or form, makes up over 50% of our waking hours for most of us, right? So it's a big deal to consider. And in this world that we live in, in this culture, the modern view of work is this. We work, we do what we do, we do what we have to do so that we can do what we want to do later, right? We have this uh, ends, means to an end mentality. We we wake up, we go through this, we do what we have to do so that we can have a certain standard of living, so that we can make a certain amount of money, so that we can do the things that we really want to do. And, uh, and there is a biblical perspective that will reframe this for us because those, those of us that have that modern, that today's kind of vantage point, that view of work, uh, we are in this statistic that Princeton uh, did this study just a couple of years ago, and they found that 75% of us, probably, in this room, if we were surveyed, we would fall on this, on this scale of 1 to 10, of a level of satisfaction in our work lives, we'd be at a 5 or less. 75% of Americans are at a 5 or less out of 10 when surveyed about their, their work and their vocation. Now, one reason why that is true and why it can be a sensitive subject to talk about here is that work can become, it, it, it becomes our identity in some ways, right? There's this kind of income piece, and then there's this identity piece. And you know that if you meet someone new today and you are uh, greeted on the patio, you're going to say, hi, hi, nice to see you. Do you live in Huntington Beach? Great. And then the next question is, what do you do? What do you do? And so it, it becomes intertwined in some ways with our identity. And so when work isn't good, then we feel badly about ourselves. And there's a reason that these, that these things get twisted. There's a reason that, that it becomes entwined in our identity. And, and that, for that, we, we go back to the beginning. 
Genesis 1. You don't have to turn there, but if you, if you want a Bible and you don't have one, we have Bibles for you. You could even like, make this Bible your own with a Sharpie pen, like, put your name in it so you can bring it next time and everything. Uh, but just think, if, think about the beginning of the story. It starts in Genesis 1, right? God created the heavens and the earth. We know, if you've heard anything about this Bible story, we know that God spoke life into being. He spoke and things became. He worked, the Bible says, for six days before he rested. He was in the business of creating. He created the heavens and the earth. He created human beings and he told them, I want you to rule over and subdue this earth that I've created. He gave man the name Adam. Interestingly, in Hebrew, the name Adam and the word for ground are almost one and the same. Ground is Adama. And Adam, man is Adam, right? Adam, Adama. Because God literally took dirt and he formed a man and then he breathed life into this dirt and it became a human being. Then, 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 so we got that relationship between man and ground, right? Then he says, it's not good for man to be alone. So he took, he made the man fall asleep. He took a rib out of Adam and he created a woman, Right? And so we have this, this connection forever and ever between man and woman because they were created in this way. And similarly, this connection between humans and the ground and work. And his first instruction to work the ground that he created. So we have this kind of interrelated reality that we live with. And what we're praying today is that just like God spoke life into being and just like he took Dirt and created a man by breathing life through his nostrils. We are asking God to say, God, would you breathe life into my work today? Would you breathe life into this, into this vocation, into this thing that I do day to day on a daily basis? Would you breathe life into that? And I believe he wants to. I believe that in some way he will tweak your perspective of how you look at what you do on a day to day basis today. And it could change it forever. Am I overselling this message? Perhaps. Perhaps. But I believe truly that God has in mind for us to view what we do in a different light. Let's look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. It says, The Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and care for it. Now here are just a couple of things I want you to pull out of that. One is that creation is not only created by God, but maintained by God. That he has in mind not just, to, not just to create, but to maintain. And that he invites us into that as partners. And he has since the beginning of time. And I also want you to notice that this was before sin entered the world. That we were designed by God to work. To work, to partner with him in this way. And that the, 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 the sin or the fall, as it's called in Genesis 3, that is about that curse when God says, I... You, you know, the ground will be cursed. The curse is not work. Work is not the curse. Work, work is part of how we are designed. The curse, when God cursed the ground, that is about making us dependent on him, that we cannot do it all on our own, that there has to be this continual partnership. And since we rebelled, he was concerned that that would go away. And so he curses the ground, not, not so that, you know, we get this idea that work is a bad thing, but so that in our work, we are constantly dependent on him. That is why, friends, that is why we, you see in our, in all around us, the people, trust fund babies, right, or lottery winners, they are miserable 
people. They are miserable human beings. You think, okay, if I want $300 million, I could put that to some good use. That seems like a win for me. But you look at almost every single case. You go and study their lives, and there are studies done and, uh, you know, 60 minutes uh, stories about this kind of stuff. They wreck their lives because we are designed to work. It is a part of what we were designed to do by God. He sustains life. He gives us a role to play and, and part of our living out who he's made us to be is partnering with him in this role. I like what Dorothy says, Sayers says. It's in your notes. She says, work is a gracious expression of creative energy in the service of society. Work is a gracious expression of creative energy in the service of society. We'll unplug or unpack that a little bit, and we'll do it using First Thessalonians chapter 4. So in your notes, you have that written out. That's where we're going to spend our time for the rest of the message here. So this, this is Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, right? Paul is writing to them, and they're good people. It's, it's like he's writing to us, right? He would say similar things to us. He is affirming them. He is encouraging them. He's writing this letter to them to stay in touch with them because he genuinely loves them, and he's excited about what God is doing in their lives and in their midst. And so he writes them this great letter, and he says to them, hey, you're doing great. You're living well. You're loving well. I just want to encourage you so that you do it more and more, right? I want to encourage you in the way you're living and even help you go to another level level in how you're living to honor God. And so that's what we see in verse 1. When he says, when he says, as for other matters, brothers and sisters, this is chapter 4, verse 1, we instruct you on how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are doing. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. And then we skip down to verse 9, okay? Now, about your love for one another, we do not need to write you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. Taught by God. So he's affirming that God's spirit is in them and teaching all the time. As the Bible says in another place, that it's the Holy Spirit within us that teaches us all things. So he's affirming that reality. You have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. There's a theme here. To do so more and more and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of, out, of outsiders, so that you will not be dependent on anyone. Okay, three simple practical applications we can pull out of this that will help frame how we view work. The first is love others. Love others. I will view my work as a practical expression of loving others. Look up in verses 9 and 10 and circle the word love. It is love that inspires. Working with our hands, doing what we do, is fundamentally connected to our love for other people. And you might be going, okay, but my, my job is just, it's just this. Or I, I, but you, if you were in my workplace and you saw the cubicle that I sit in and the dude that I have to sit next to and the people that I have to deal with on a daily basis and the boss that barks over my shoulder, come on, come on. My, my situation, uh, it's, it's, it's different. But I want you to, or, or maybe it seems insignificant. But think about this. Think about this Sunday morning. Think about what you did. You woke up this morning. You were in a bed that someone kind of uh, knitted, what's the word, knit or stitched? The sheets that you were lying in. Someone built the frame of your bed. Someone, someone created and laid the, the boards or the linoleum or the carpet that you walked on. And then when you walked into the bathroom, you, you turned on a faucet that someone 
constructed. And, and, and it brought water to you, and someone did that pipe thing and put it under the ground, and, and someone takes it to the ocean when you're done with it, right? Someone did that that probably wasn't you. And then you got up and you put these clothes on that you didn't make, but they help, you know, your, your good-looking physique, and, and you appreciate that. And then you got into a car that you didn't build, that you don't even know how it works. You just know that when you turn the key, something happens and it comes to life and it takes you places. But there's, there were thousands of people involved in just the making of the dashboard. And then you drove it here on streets that you did not pave. With lights, traffic lights, that you did not hang. With the whole timing system and someone in some hub that makes these lights do what they do and keep traffic flowing. That you had nothing to do with. And you might see yourself, you know, some, some piece of that. You, you might play a role in some little piece of the society that keeps on turning. And we have a choice, friends, in every particular place, in every little piece of this story, of this, of this work story that's unfolding, that we choose in our little corner of the universe that we can do it as an act of love for people or we can just go through the motions. But aren't you glad that someone cared enough to do all those little things to make our life what it is today. And we go through all that and we don't even notice and we don't even pay attention that there is a master plan here. That it started in the beginning in Genesis 1 and 2 as we just read where God said, I have designed that you work and that you subdue the land and that you rule over it. And our Sunday would have looked a lot different if people hadn't served us in all those ways. Now, I want to tell you about a job because, you know, we all have, you know, really difficult or terrible jobs at times. Um, I, in college, I actually, I worked for Cutco Knives, don't judge me. And so I, I, was the, I was the guy who called some of you up and said, do you want to buy some awesome knives? And you were like, no, I don't want to buy some awesome knives. I only buy them for my nephew because I had to, you know, Right. Uh, so I was that guy, and, um, and I still have the knives today. They're great knives, by the way. I don't sell them anymore. This isn't a sales pitch, but they are fantastic. Um, but what I did do not too long ago was I had been working. Hillary and I were in uh, Scottsdale, Arizona, Phoenix, Arizona area, and I had been doing a college ministry at Arizona State, and so I was you know, in a room like this talking to several hundred college students at a time on Tuesdays, and then I had some other guys that were uh, partners in this little marketing company that was starting up, and one of them was like a... He was a, a guy that funded the ministry, but he was also kind of a player in the political arena in Phoenix. And so I thought, oh, well, this is a cool deal, and this is great that he wants me to play a small role in this. And then we get the phone call, as I've, as I've talked about in here before, that Hillary's mom got sick with pancreatic cancer. And so, boom, like that, she moves up to Washington immediately to be with her mom. And a couple of months later, I follow her up just because I know I have to. It's the right thing. That's, what, that's the place where we needed to be. And I'm up there having left this world and this work that felt kind of meaningful, like it was on the right track. And, uh, and now I'm up here with, with, you know, in Washington with nothing. Um, most significant season of my life, probably. Uh, just watching my wife love her mom and walking through that season. And separately, independently of that, I realized I also needed to be doing something with my hands. I was just, I needed to, you, you know, you just need to do something. Uh, people that don't, that you know, don't have work, and so I, I know some of us are in that situation, it's, it can drive you crazy because we are wired to work. And so I went, and I had a friend who was at the, uh, the YMCA up there. The YMCA is, a, is a kind of a fixture in the community up in that area of the world. And so 
uh, I just said, hey, I'm around. I can just volunteer and help out. And, and you know, there, I had other motives, too. I really did want to help her as she led this thing, but I also wanted to network and meet some cool people and work out for free. So I... <laughs> I said, I'm available, let me, let me help you do this. And so I was there helping out just a little while, and they said, hey, we really have a need here. We need, I, I'm just, I'm dying for somebody. I need someone to kind of oversee the front desk and, uh, and help these college students to do their jobs and show up on time and really, really love on and welcome all of our members as they come in the door. And I was like, oh, God, really, please? Oh, this is not what I wanted to do. Um, but I didn't have another option. And I thought that maybe God was inviting me into this. And so I said, uh, I said, yeah, I'll do it. But, you know, this is really temporary. <laughs> this, is, this is like really, t- I'm, I'm, I'm looking for other gigs, you know. I might be driving up to Seattle for a job soon. I, this is just a really temporary thing, but I'd love to help you in this way, you know. And, and then she hands me she, this rolled up piece of fabric, and it's red. And I think, oh, dear God, please, no. Uh, it's not a red shirt that I have to wear, is it? And uh, sure enough, part of this job at the front desk is you wear a red shirt, and you have a name tag, and you welcome people as they come in. And I was like, no, I don't want, this isn't, this isn't me. And I am ashamed to admit it, but I thought that that was not the job for me, right? I have this education, I do this, I'm on this track, and this isn't what I should be doing, and I was embarrassed by it. But God said, stick in it push through, keep showing up. So I kept showing up. And I started to build relationships with people as they were coming in. And I got to know some folks. And I, I, I got to know people and, and the stuff that they were going through. And I had to deal with a lot of really difficult people who complain about, really? You're complaining about this? I'm just giving you a towel, you know? Just leave me alone. I don't know how this... Uh, and you know what I'm talking about. A lot of you are in customer service type jobs. And so it was really difficult. But here's what happened. After a month or two, there was, there was this, uh, this opportunity. Someone said, you know, we've been, we've been given, this foundation has given us some money, and we, we have people on our board that are solid believers. And the YMCA started as this Christian organization, and they are pushing this agenda of reaching out to our membership and our community uh, in, a, in a way that promotes kind of spiritual development. And this was just kind of an offhanded conversation. So I typed up a little email, and I said, here's an idea. I shot it off to my friend who showed it to the CEO, and they were like, yeah, let's, let's do this. Let's do this thing. That's a great idea. So we created a campaign uh, with the hook of health, and I wrote a devotional, 40 days, body, mind, heart, and spirit, and they bought 10,000 of them. They bought 10,000 of them and distributed them all over Washington. And I had people coming up to me, still in my red shirt, still handing out towels, saying, did you write this? This really impacted my life. This really impacted my life. If I had not fought through the embarrassment and the boredom and what I perceived in my small mind as insignificance of that job and the red T-shirt and the handing out towels and loving on people, I would have missed out on what God was really doing there. You might have to wear a red T-shirt and serve people that are really difficult to love before you can do your dream. You might have to stick in a job longer than you want that doesn't make sense and be a little bit humbled and embarrassed before you can do the thing that you're really wired to do, before God really blesses the work. I don't know why. He just does that. 
He has a habit of doing that. Something about this whole Jesus humbling himself and coming to earth as a man and being killed on our, on our behalf, I think might play into that in some way. He allows us to be humbled and because he wants us to love others as he loves us. First and fundamentally, we work as an expression of our love for others, and we trust later outcomes to him. Second, we bring order. We work to bring order. That I partner with the God of the universe in bringing ongoing order to his creation. That he is the God who speaks of things that are not as though they were, that he has been bringing order out of chaos since the beginning of time, and he invites us into that. Look at verse 11. Underline the word strive for quiet. This is really interesting because those words, the the Greek word there is actually having to do with peace and quiet on the inside so that we are striving for a real identification in who he has wired us to be. This is where we transition from we just do wherever we are, we love others, to now and, not, not or, not either or, but and we really get serious about how he has uniquely designed us. We really start to think about how God uniquely made me to contribute in this world. And I, if I am restless in my job, maybe it's because I don't really know what I'm wired to do yet. And so this peace and this rest and this quiet is about discovering how he's uniquely wired me and playing that out. Here are some questions to ask. Because you need to do some inside work before your outside work makes sense, I want to suggest to you. So ask yourself some questions like this. What energizes you? What do you get emotional about? What, where's the injustice that just, that just boils your blood? What are people constantly affirming about you? That you just do this so well. There are all kinds of books today out there about finding your strengths and passions. And, and sometimes that idea can be so intoxicating that we get obsessed with just being in this, in this perfect job, in this perfect role, maximizing my ability. And I want you to be aware of that. We, we live in this tension of we, do, we love others where we're at. And we continually discover how God's wired us so we can walk more and more into that. But there is not just one job I don't believe that we can do. Some people will not do anything until they find this perfect job, and that's not the right answer, right? Wherever you're at, serve, love there well, and then take steps as you go to discover how God's really wired you, and they'll play out more and more in that role. There's this, there's this spectrum of, of jobs, right? And you want to find that space in that spectrum, not the one perfect job necessarily, but that space where you're using the gifts that God's given you. And that you're bringing order to the world around us. And remember, you might have to love a lot of difficult people and show up every day in your red shirt first before that story even makes a whole lot more sense. Okay, look back at verse 11 one more time. I want to make one more observation about this. It says, work with your hands. Underline that idea, work with your hands. In Roman culture in that day, working with your hands was not a good thing. You wanted to, if you were somebody in Roman culture in Paul's day, uh, you weren't working with your hands. In fact, you were trying to avoid even being outside in the sun. You were, you were avoiding manual labor. It was not a good thing to do. And so, and so he, the people he's writing to are kind of confused. They're like, well, if, if we're advancing in our culture, we shouldn't be working with our hands. And Paul says, yes, exactly. I want you to be countercultural. I want you to be different. 
I want you to be willing to work with your hands because this, this cultural norm is not of God. And so I want you to overcome that and I want you to be willing to get down and dirty regardless of your position of power or place in culture. And so I want to encourage you, friends, to be willing to be countercultural, to look to where you can be countercultural, to look at the jobs that even aren't, aren't, aren't on your job description, but no one wants to do them, and so you step in and you say, I'll get my hands dirty. Because Paul invites us to be countercultural as we bring order to the world around us. And then lastly, number three, ultimately we work to please God. We see that in verse one. This is what got the whole story, the whole chapter going in Paul's letter, is he's talking about how we live in order to please God. And that is the ultimate thing. We please God when we are loving others and when we are bringing order to the world around us. I know that Kevin talked about uh, Eric Little and Chariots of Fire not too long ago, but how, you can't even really talk about that guy too much, right? Right, are you with me? Chariots of Fire, Eric Little, the, the runner. So there's Eric Little, and then there's his, his counterpart, his teammate, and the guy that he ran against, Harold Abrams. There's a quote from Harold Abrams that says, he, he says he's 24 years old, and he has no contentment. He says, I have 10 seconds in his little 100-meter race. I have 10 seconds to justify my existence. Man, that's a hard life. Versus, compare that to what Eric Little says when, when he's talking to his sister and his sister's trying to convince him, hey, you're supposed to be a missionary in China. He says, I'm on my way to that. I'm going there. But I have to do this first because God designed me and he made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. We can be people. We can be those who work and feel God's pleasure. As we are intentional about loving others, bringing order, being willing to be humbled, wear our red shirt, show up, serve people we don't like or that are difficult to serve, we will please God. And there's a big difference between pleasing God and appeasing God. You know what I'm saying? I, I had coaches all growing up, volleyball and basketball, and you know the difference if you're a coach or if you've had one or if you're a boss or if you have one. Uh, between a boss or a coach that you really like and one that you really don't. There's something about, if I, if I know that this coach, my coach, believes in me, there's, I just go a little bit harder, you know? Uh, versus the, the, the players that I see, even some girls that I've coached, that Hillary and I coach right now in volleyball, when you make them run lines, they, they get all the way up to the line and then they turn back, right? But when I am feeling motivated that this coach believes in me, I'll do anything. I touch every line. That's working hard in practice and in a drill, touching every line. Because we serve a God who we know wired us, designed us, calls us, partners with us. And we make it our goal to please him, not just appease him by going through the motions, but to please him and do what we do for his glory because he's in it with us and he's drawing out the best in us. And if you go, yeah, 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 but my coach or my boss is an idiot. I mean, like, if you knew this guy, you would understand why I don't touch all the lines, right? I just kind of show up, but you got to understand this man. Look at uh, Ephesians 6, 5 through 8. It says, slaves, obey your earthly masters and res with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. 
just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor or when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart, serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one of you whatever good they do, whether slave or free. So there is no cop-out for having a bad boss. In fact, God says, even if you are a slave and forced to work because you're owned by somebody, serve that person as if you're serving me. Even when the boss's eyes are not on me, I serve this boss like I'm serving God. Even when the boss is in Palm Desert for the week and the rest of the office is, is using the, you know, while the cat's away, the mice are at play jargon, we remember that even when our employer is gone, our boss is still very much present. Even when he's gone, the boss is not. Friends, do you experience peace and passion in your work? Are you experiencing his pleasure in what you do? Are you experiencing his passion for loving others, bringing order in this world, and pleasing him, worshiping him in everything that we do? Will you let him today take this work, whatever it is, as you're sorting it out, as you're still trying to figure out how he's really wired you, will you let him pick that up and breathe life into it this morning? God, I pray, I pray that you would meet us here in this place as you are already here, that you would whisper to our hearts, that you would convict us, that you would clearly invite us into this perspective-shifting view of how we do what we do. Would you make that exciting, that invitation? It's so full of opportunities, so full of potential. We never know what's around the corner. If we continue to show up faithfully, God, would you get us excited about just pleasing you through what we do? Would you breathe life into our work? In Jesus' name.